This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. We're going to continue on our discussion of grace and giving. And uh, this, this portion that, I, that my, my focus is, is, uh, is the call to stewardship. And what we've been saying before is that really this is a, a continuation of our teachings on the manifested presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers, especially in the lives of the members of this ministry. It is, it is high time that the Holy Spirit was manifested in your lives. It, you know, um, we talked before about how, how, how um, Paul came upon the, the church at Ephesus and, and he says that, well, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they, they hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit. And he began to teach them about Jesus Christ and his baptism. And he says that if, if you've committed yourself, then why deny yourself the power that is made available to those that, are, that have been brought and washed with the blood of Jesus Christ? So we're wanting to, to, uh, to press in and, and to, to realize the manifested presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can be prepared to be used by God. In order for us to be effective in this span of time, we must respond to the call to stewardship. And we said before, some of the things that, that, that we covered before, we're going to kind of just real quickly touch on. And, you know, God was really speaking to me last week, and he was saying that, that there's a lot of information that we want to make sure that the people get. Because what it is is that, he says that the, the, the issue is, is that my people have a thing to do but they have not prepared themselves to get that thing accomplished. That work has been placed into their hands, but they have not positioned themselves so that they can be successful in the work that's already been given to them. And so, look, this is the call to stewardship. We're not asking if you are a steward, if you're not a steward, because if you're a believer, you are a steward. If you're breathing air, you have stewardship over the life that God has given you. But... but what this, this, in this teaching, God was saying to me that, that my people, that they have not positioned themselves, they have not prepared themselves to make the most effective use of what's already been placed into their hands. And so that's why we have this teaching on the call to stewardship. Stewardship is caring for someone else's property with the goal of improving that property. It's administration. It's conducting. It's supervising the management of something entrusted to one's care. And so when we look, think about that word care, what does that mean? It means that something that, that, that's been placed into your hands that you have to consider to be valuable. When someone says to take care of something, take care of this for me, take care of this matter, take care of this object, take care of this child, take care of this ministry, that means that, 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 that you have to consider it to be valuable. They have to be worthy of your attention. When we say care, we're saying that, that it's not to be devalued or marginalized. That it's not to be taken for granted. That, well, it'll always be there. That I don't need to put my hands to it because it was there when I was younger. It'll be there when I, when I decide to get there. It'll, it'll be there when I get older and I decide to come back. Not to devalue, not to marginalize, not to say, well, it's good, you know, to just come and, and to hear on Sundays. It's, it's good to just 
here on the live stream, but I don't need to apply myself. I don't need to devote myself to that thing that God has called me to. Care, it, it means that, that we consider it to be valuable. That it's not to be devalued. That it's not to be marginalized. That it's worthy of consideration. It's worthy of consideration. And some of you know I like to, um, you know, I like to, I like to buy different things, and I, I have some some experience in contracts. And one of the one of the terms in contracting is called consideration. And what that means is the thing that you have invested into, in hope of gaining something else. It's worthy of consider. It's worthy of my my investment right now, in hope of what's gonna come in the future of what God has in store it's worthy of me being inconvenienced it's worthy of me robbing my own stores so that I can sow into what God has for the future worthy of consideration it's not to be neglected it's not something that I'll just put down and say I'll come back to at a, at a later time it's not something that I, that, I, that I pick up on Sunday and I leave to waste all during the week. It's not something that I, that I, that I let life fallow and, 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 and to, to be subjected to, to the corruption of this world until it's a convenient time for me. It's not to be neglected. Stewardship is when you have the management of something that's been entrusted into your care. We said one of the things that, that we talked about is that the steward is the manager of a house. They manage the resources of the house. And one of the things that we can't forget is that they manage the resources. The resources don't manage them. That the steward manages the resources of the house. They don't allow those resources to manage them. What does that mean? It means that the steward does not allow those things that they have been charged with managing they don't allow them to overtake them. They don't, they, don't, I, they don't find their identity in the things they have been charged with managing. They find their identity in the commands given to them by the master. When you think about stewardship, a steward is the manager of a house. They, they are responsible for having things set in place, for having the, the goods of the home set in order. In some cases, it talks about the steward that they are responsible for making sure that the other servants have food and clothing and provisions made available. So the steward is the manager of the house. They look out not just for themselves, but they take the resources in the house to make sure that all in the house are provided for. They're considering what does this person need? What does that person need? How can I put this in the best position for the most effective use? They're, they're, they're overseeing. And a lot of times that causes confusion and conflict with the other servants in the house. Because the other servants are looking at what the steward does versus what they're doing. And you know how you all are. Sometimes we say, well, you know what, the boss, they're not really doing that much work. I'm doing all the work. What are they doing? All they do is tell people what to do. You know, the, the steward is not concerned about your petty attitudes. The steward, you know, it may not appear as though, they're, as, though, as though they're doing as much work as someone else, but they actually are responsible for making sure that you have work to do. 
They, they, they're making sure that you have the resources available to be the most effective. They, they, they not only have to look out for how they can be effective, but they, they need to try and figure out, how do I get this hard-headed member, how do I get this, this person to be more effective for God's kingdom? How do I position them in just the right place? How can I give them an assignment that they won't walk away from and fall down? Or how can I just give them just a little bit so that they can develop their faith and they can grow in Christ? They, 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 they're trying to worry about, how can I encourage you, with all your attitudes, with your envying and your jealousies, the steward is, is, is looking over the whole house and trying to see how can each member become more effective. You know what? The steward has the right to change up the order. A lot of times the service, they get so heads down in what they're doing and, and the, the pattern and the routine that they don't want to be bothered by anybody. They say, look, just let me do what I know how to do. But a steward can change up the song or order and says, you know what, this is going to minister to the people more today. The steward can change up the order of the service and say, you know what, this is what we need right now in this season. The steward, they have the, the right to reassign resources. That thing that you thought that you were so good at, that you've been doing since you were six years old, the steward can come in and say, well, you know what, that season for you, that's over with. Now it's time to raise up someone else to do that thing. Here's something else that you can be, where you can be effective in. The steward has the right to reassign the resources. Because they, what, the steward answers not to the thing that they manage, but they answer to the master. The steward manages the resources. The resources do not manage the steward. You know what, the steward, they have the right to consult you on a matter and to get your opinion or not. The steward has the right to ask you and, and find out what you think about a thing and maybe get some of your insight and maybe some of the things that, that you felt about it or not. Or they, they, they have the right to, to ask you or not to ask you. They don't have, the, the steward has no obligation to run by you what it is that they are doing. As long as they are submitted to authority, they don't have to ask you. You know what? You may think that you know a thing, but you haven't been given stewardship over that. You haven't been given stewardship in that area. So the steward, they have the right to ask you and expect for you to be as helpful as you can be. That you're not going to try and give bad information hoping that the thing won't be successful because you bring an injury to the house. The steward has the right to ask you or not to ask you to hear what you have to say. Maybe they'll implement what it is that you suggested. Maybe they won't. Why is that? Because they have the stewardship. They have been given the stewardship. It is their responsibility to bring that thing to a state of perfection, to a state of maturity, to a state of completion, to improve its usefulness for the benefit of the master. Talking about stewardship. You know, a lot of times we get, we get bent out of shape and we, we get, we get uh, caught up in this world system. And this so-called democracy that's not a democracy. 
And we see people protesting and, and demanding that their voices be heard and demanding that actions be taken and demanding that a direction be, 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 be undertaken because they say, we have a right to be heard. But that's not, that's not stewardship. That's not what Scripture teaches us about stewardship. The steward has the right to listen to what you have to say or not able to consult you at all. It is within the right of the steward because they've been given charge over a specific task and they need to bring that to a point of perfection, to a point of completion. We say that all of mankind, that, that you have a call to stewardship. For all of mankind, that there's a call to stewardship. And we talked about how, how, how God, he, he, he placed Adam in the garden in Genesis 2 and 8. We said that the, the garden, it comes from God. That God is the creator. The steward is not the creator. God is the creator. And he is responsible for placing man in the garden. The garden comes from God. God is responsible for causing the ground to be fruitful. The increase comes from the Lord. He is responsible for causing the ground to be fruitful. That he is responsible for positioning the man in the garden. And he gives instruction. He says, man, your role is to dress and to keep the garden. And this is stewardship. The garden comes from God. The fruitfulness of the ground comes from God. God puts the man in the garden where he wants him to be. And he says, man, this is your job. This is your responsibility. This is your charge. Dress it and keep it. Make sure that what I've, what I've, the pattern that I've established, that thing that I've put into place, that it doesn't become cluttered and overgrown, full of weeds and thorns and thistles, but that it continues in excellence. This is stewardship. Every one of us has a personal responsibility to manage the resources of our lives for the glory of God, acknowledging God as the provider. Every one of us has a personal responsibility. This is your personal call to stewardship. To manage the resources, your time, your talent, your treasure that's given to you by God. For the glory of God, acknowledging that He is the provider. And we went to Matthew chapter 25 to understand the, the, the servant's heart and stewardship. Matthew 25. Just starting with verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. I just love that. Christ is saying that, I want to show you all what the, what, what's really happening in eternity. And I'm going to use this natural example so that you can grasp it. 
Don't get caught up in the example, but get, get, get caught up in what I'm trying to communicate to you. That this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's as a man that's traveling to a far country who called his own servants. So one of the things that we said is that stewardship, it can only be entrusted to servants. Godly stewardship, in order for the, the pattern of the kingdom to show up, to be manifested, for the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to be manifested, stewardship has to be entrusted to servants. And those are those that are under a master. We said that a servant is one that has submitted themselves, that has been purchased, that has been bought, and that is bound to a master. And the good thing about servanthood is that a servant, they're not judged according to their own merits. The servant is not judged according to their skin color. The servant is not judged according to their gender. You know what? The servant is not judged according to their socioeconomic status. In this time in scripture, kings were servants to other kings. Scholars were servants. All manner of men and women were made servants. So it's not about who you are, what you bring to the table, or your own self-importance. The servant is only judged by the command that is given to him by the master. That's how a servant is judged. By the command that is given to him by the master. You know, in this time, you might have a, you might have a, a group of people that were of a high status. And, and a servant would walk in. And normally that servant would not be allowed into that, into that, into that company. Right? Maybe that servant wouldn't even be considered, you know, worthy or able. Or maybe they, they had a smell about them or a look about them that maybe the other people were a little against or biased against. But if that servant was under the command of his master, that servant was received into the company, not based on who the servant was, but upon the command given to him by the master. Some of you are worried about how, what people are thinking about you. You're worried about what people think about your age, what they think about your ability, what they think about your intellect. But just know that you're not judged by any of those things. You are judged by the command that is given to you by the master. Don't consider anything else. Let no man despise thy youth. Only consider the command that is given to you by the master. That's how a servant is judged. A servant is judged by his obedience, by his faithfulness, by his diligence. We said obedience is being under the command, the spoken word that's given. Obedience is being under orders. Obedience is being submitted to authority. Faithfulness, it's trustworthiness. A steward is judged by his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his truthfulness, his ability to be relied on. A steward is someone that you can trust. That you know 
exactly how they will perform in a given situation. But a steward is also someone that knows how to trust. They know who is trustworthy. They have discernment. They can see into a thing and understand the integrity therein. A steward is someone that is convinced in the promises of God. They're faithful, they're unwavering because they know that in spite of what I see in front of me, that there's a greater promise that awaits. A steward is judged by his diligence. We went to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10. It says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work nor device nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Be certain that one day all of this will pass. And so whatever you find to do, do it with your might. Do it with your strength. With all that you have. Diligence is thoughtful effort directed towards effectiveness. And the scripture that we have here is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter three. Just looking at verse seven. For you for yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable. To any of you. Here Paul is saying that his labor was not to fill his own belly. It was not to satisfy his own needs. But he taught the word. And he also worked with his hands. So that his teaching would be all the more effective. So that his teaching would be all the more effective. I just love the ministers in this church that, that you'll see them, they'll, they'll teach the word and they'll study and they'll, and they'll bring forth the word of God for you. But you'll also see them in the serving lines as we have our church dinners. You'll see them working with the children. You'll see them, whatever the ministry calls for, installing lights, doing whatever, whatever task is needed, serving, serving others themselves going hungry while you are being full and asking for seconds. They'll say, you know what? I'm here to serve you. Why? Because I, it's, it's not about me. But I just want the teaching, I just want the ministry to be all the more effective in your life. So a steward is diligent. They have thoughtful effort directed towards effectiveness. The steward recognizes that their lives and what they have in their hands, it's all for the master's benefit. That all that they have is for the master's benefit. In 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about how all things are lawful to me. But not everything is expedient. That while all things are lawful to me, all things are not beneficial. What do you mean beneficial? It's not beneficial to the teaching of the ministry, to the effectiveness 
of the word of God and his people. A steward is looking over the whole house. And they're saying, you know what, this might benefit this one person in this one case. But if we change it up, it'll benefit the whole house. And so we'll do it in such a way that we'll have the greatest effect. One of the things we have to realize is that you don't get to pick your stewardship. You don't get to pick your stewardship. And I said that, you know, we are all stewards, but maybe you haven't yet pressed into your stewardship. You haven't responded to the call to stewardship. And so what's been put into your hands is now going to waste. You know, you are a steward of your natural body. You didn't get to choose your body. Genetics and God's will determine that. But now that you have it, you are a steward of it. Are you taking care? Are you, are you mindful of what you are putting into your body? Of the exercise and the diligence that you show to maintain the health of your body? We said even professionally that, that you may interview for a job, but once you're hired, you know what? Your boss chooses the work that you do. And you need to be a faithful steward in accomplishing it. That they'll tell you to do things that you say, well, you know what, I kind of wanted to sort of do that. Well, you know what, this is what we need you to do. Because we, we, we are responsible for the entire organization. And we've looked at everything that we need to do to be effective. And this is where you can be most effective in helping us accomplish our goal. We say that in marriage, you choose your spouse. You choose your spouse but the marriage, that's your stewardship. That you are responsible for washing your, 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 your wife with the word of God. Cleansing them. Washing the dirt of the world and the norms that, they, that they've been, been, been presented with. And even the things that they've heard during the week and the shows and all the programs and even the newscasts. And saying, well, you know what? This is what the word of God says about all of that. We can set all of that to the side and focus on this is what the Word of God says. Wives, you're, you're responsible for submitting to your husband as unto the Lord, setting forth the example and the pattern for your home so that your children can see how it is that the church is submitted to Christ. Yeah, you, cho you chose that person but now that you're in the marriage, now you have stewardship. Now you have work to do. We said that your children, that they're the Lord's heritage, but they're your work. You can't trade them in. You can't swap them out. There's nothing you... They're your work. They're your, they're your field to work. To, 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 to dig up those rocks. And plow under those roots and make their hearts fertile to receive the word of God. We said that the servants, they're given these, these talents, the five, the two and the one, according to their ability. That they, don't get, they didn't get to choose their talents. And what I like about this is that when, when you don't get to choose, when it is God who, who created the garden, when it is he who causes it to be fruitful... When it is he that places you in the garden, you know, there's no room for envy. There's no room for envy. There's no room for saying, you know what, 
I wish I had what somebody... You know what? There's no room for envy. There's no room for envy. I was thinking about this example of, of, um, of God putting something in your hands. When God has put something in your hands for you to grasp for something else, you just drop what he, what he gave you. When he has put when he's giving you charge and responsibility and you're grasping for that which is not yours that you cannot make fruitful that you cannot make productive not only will you not reach it but you've already dropped what he gave you in stewardship there's no room for waste waste comes when we don't value the span of time that God has given us to perfect our stewardship. When we don't place enough value, when we say, well, it's just the storefront. You know, they're, 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 in every area, just think of every area of your stewardship that God has given you. When you say, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm too whatever, so I'm not going to take care of my body. My wife or my husband is whatever, so I'm not going to value them. My job is whatever, so I'm not going to do what I need to do on the job. In every area, when you don't value your stewardship, that's where waste comes in. That's where waste comes in. So there's no room for waste. And there's no room for envy in stewardship. Church, we have to realize in responding to the call to stewardship that stewardship it is within your ability. God did not set you up to fail. What God has given you is within your ability. Now granted, it may not be within your knowledge. You can do it. You may not understand how to do it. And that's why he's given you perfecting gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says that he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teaching for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I mean, just look, just listen to what it's saying is that, that he's given these gifts. Why? To look over the entire body. And to look over all the saints. And to see where is it that we need to mature? Where is it that we need to develop? Where is it that we need to be pushed and provoked? so that we can be more effective in the work of ministry, so that we can arise and build, edifying the body of Christ. So God gives us perfecting gifts. Parents, you are a perfecting gift in your homes. You are a perfecting gift in your own home. You are responsible for looking over your entire household and saying, how is it that I need to perfect, how is it that I need to provoke, to, to push, to stimulate, to challenge, so that this house can be more effective in the work of ministry, so this house can be more effective in accomplishing what God has for us to accomplish.
One thing you have to understand is that what you are doing can never take priority over who you are in Christ. This is where we were talking last week about the difference between what is made holy versus that which is holy. Because too often we get so caught up in, in, in worker mode and worker mode and worker mode that we're so focused in what it is that we're doing that we lose sight of our stewardship. And we begin to actually believe that what we are doing is more important than the Master's command. We think that, well, they have to make place for my, for my, for my gift. Because my gift brings in the people. We think that, well, I'm the only one that's skilled in this particular area. If I didn't do it, they'd have to go and hire somebody else out to do it. So they have to make way for me. But listen, what, what you do can never take priority over who you are in Christ. That which is made holy versus that which is holy. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit... These things, these, these are holy. These people are holy. These, 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 these entities, they are holy. That which issues from the Father, that which issues from the Son, that which issues from the Spirit of God, that is holy. What issues from the Father? Love. For God so loved that He gave. What is the Son? The Son is truth. Pilate was staring right at him and asking, what is truth? The Holy Spirit is power. That which issues from the Father, that which issues from the Son, that which issues from the Spirit of God, that is holy. What does that mean? It means that it can't be made common. It can't be diluted. It can't be subdivided against itself. It can't contradict. It is separate. It is set apart, and it is above all. But now that which is made holy is that which is touched by, that which is submitted to, that which is aligned with, that which is made holy, that which is holy. If you've been touched by God's love, if you've been touched by the truth of Jesus Christ, if you've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, now you've been made, you've been separated You've been set apart. You've been set aside for the master's use. But now that which is made holy, it must remain holy. That means that you have to continue to be touched by. You have to continue to be submitted to. You have to be continued to be aligned with. And so when we say that, that, that my gift is greater than... Then we say that my gift is sufficient in and of itself. You say, we say that my talents are sufficient in and of themselves. We say that what I bring to the table is over and above all the authority that has been established. But listen, a servant is not judged by who they are. A servant is not judged by what they bring to the table. A servant is not judged by their gifts and abilities. A servant is only judged. They are only considered by their obedience to the master's command. If the master hasn't called you to sing, it doesn't matter that you can sing. You can be a master craftsman, but if that's not what the servant has called you to be, then that, that is of no use. 
You can be a speaker that people from all around will come and hear your lectures and buy your books. But if God has called you to clean the toilets, guess what? Your speaking is of no use. The servant is not judged by their own abilities. They're only judged by what the master has called them to, what he has commanded them to. God is the source. And we have to remember that we need to be submitted to him at all times. Go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Starting with verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but God. The powers that be ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisted the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. God is the source. Let every soul be subject, be hupo, be under, place themselves under the authority that is given. Because there is no authority, there is no power but of God. God is the source and that which issues from him and that which is touched by him is made holy. The powers that be, they are ordained of God. They are spoken into being. They are ordered. They are commanded. They are set in place by God. And when the powers refuse to submit themselves, they are no powers at all. Whoever resists the power shall receive of themselves damnation. And so when we see that, that that which is made holy must remain holy, then we understand that in stewardship, a critical element that we'll spend some time on, that, it, that if that which is made holy must remain holy, if that which is submitted must remain submitted, then a critical element of stewardship is accountability. There must be accountability in your stewardship. Why is this? Because the steward is not free to use the property that's given to them contrary to the master's wishes or desires. The steward is not free to use the resources that are given to them contrary to the master's wishes or desires. All that the master has given, he's given for a purpose. He's given for a predetermined use. And so it is required of a steward in handling the resources that are given to them by the master that before you put your hands on the resources that you need to consult the master about the purpose of that thing. Lord, how am I supposed to use this for your glory? How am I supposed to use this for the benefit of your kingdom? I can't just use it any way that I want to. I can't just use it any way that the world says that I should use it. 
but I need to consult with and inquire of the Master. How am I supposed to use these resources? Because I can't just use them any way that I want to. Go to Luke chapter 16. Talking about accountability and stewardship. Luke chapter 16. Start with verse 1. It says, And he said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him, to him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. The steward is called to bring account. He's being held accountable. So one of the things about accountability, a lot of you all I know bristle against that word. You say, well, what are you, what are you talking about accountability? Can, no one can judge me but God. But he is judging you. He is calling you to an account. But quite often, when we think of accountability, what we're thinking about, and the reason why we react negatively against it, is because of this word accuse. It's because of this word accused. Now, to accuse is to bring charges. Accusations come from a party that is external to the relationship. I'll let you understand that for a minute. Accusations, they, they come from those that are outside of the relationship. You know, what the steward was given to do, that was between him and his master. But the accusations came from those that were without. Now, the common uses for this word accusation in Scripture it's typically negative. In most cases, when you see the word accusation being used, it, it, it indicates that someone is actually, they're not, they're not just bringing charges, but they're actually, they, 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 they've judged and they've already decided. They've already condemned the person in their speaking. It's almost as though the accuser mounts an assault against someone's servant. And in attacking the servant, the accuser is actually, they're mounting an assault against the master. Because the servant is nothing outside of the master's commands. The accuser is saying, how could you allow this to happen? How could you allow this to transpire? What kind of master are you? It's almost like when, when, when parents, you, you got the call from the school. And immediately, as soon as they started, they started and you were like, well, wait a second. What are you talking about? My child, my child, my child. Are you sure? Are you sure it was them? Are you sure that's how they meant it? Maybe you looked at it wrong. And it's not because you're trying so much to defend the child. But you know that that, that, that is a reflection on you. So the accusation and the charges are mounted against, against the servant, but it's actually an assault mounted against the master. Go to Proverbs chapter 30. 
Proverbs chapter 30. And it reads, Accuse not a servant unto his master, lest he curse thee, and thou be found guilty. Don't, don't, don't go throw rocks if you live in a glass house. If you're saying that there's the standard out there, then be careful that you also are meeting that standard. So the accuser condemns that which they have no authority to condemn. The accuser sentences and passes judgment and says this is the final state on a matter that they have no authority to make those statements about, to make those judgments about. When the, the Pharisees accuse, they brought Jesus a, a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Go to John chapter 8. Starting with verse 3, and it says, John chapter 8, verse 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. And he goes on and says what the law commands. But it also shows the, the heart of those that brought these charges. They were, they were placing an accusation on this woman, but they actually were trying to attack Jesus. Look at verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his fingers wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. You know, the steward has the right to listen to you or not to listen to you. That's stewardship. He began to write on the ground as though he heard them not. Jump down to verse 11. It says, When Jesus had lifted up himself, he gives a challenge to them. He says, You that hurl accusations that have declared a standard, have you met that standard? Verse 10, When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? Then she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus knows how to answer all the accusations. We see that Christ, he could have, he could have passed judgment on this woman. Because he had no sin in him. That while no other man was able to lift the stone against her, that he himself could have. But we know that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. That he didn't come to condemn the world. So while Christ does not condemn you, 
Don't think he just let her, let her off. He says, neither do I condemn thee. He told her, go and sin no more. You will be held accountable. You will be held accountable. To be accountable, that means to, to withstand examination. To withstand questioning with humility. To withstand examination, to withstand questioning with humility. The intention of the questioning is to reveal your condition. The intent of the questioning is to reveal who you are to yourself. I was looking through scriptures about all the times when 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 questions are being asked, when, when God is asking questions, when the prophet is questioning the, nation, the nations, when, when individuals are being questioned, and there were just so many questions in the Bible. And it just seems so amazing because there's so many questions in the Bible, but God knows everything. There's so many questions in the Bible. From Adam, where are you? To Peter, do you love me more than these? There's so many questions in the Bible, but God knows everything. So why are there so many questions? Why so many questions? To reveal your condition, to reveal your state. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? We used to walk in the cool of the garden and you would take my counsel and I would wash you and cleanse you with the word. Now you've hidden yourself away. Adam, where are you? God knew where he was, but he wanted Adam to see how far he was separated from the, the communion that he once had. Job, a man that was known for his integrity that refused to curse God. But in all of Job's integrity, in him standing in his trials and his tribulations, he, he, he took a step just a little bit too far. He presumed that, that because of who he was and because of his integrity, you know, we, we have this, this saying in our, in, our, in our financial systems, too big to fail, too big to fail. A lot of, a lot of ministers think that they're too big to fail, that, that, that because of who I am, God's anointing is on me, and I, and I can't be called into question. And how, how dare you question me? How dare you question me? And Job responded to his friends, and his friends, they were put into their place. And they were instructed, but God, God, God went back and he made sure that, that Job understood that, Job, you're not above questioning. You're not above questioning. Go to Job chapter 38. That which is made holy must remain holy. We, we, we cannot say that we are above accountability, that we are above questioning. 
says verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? You're talking about something that you know nothing about. You have presumed to step into an area where you have no place in being. You had your place, and your place was a good place. I made that place for you. That place you could live in. But now you've stepped into an area where you have no business being. And so the Lord answered Job out of the world when it said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee. And you're going to answer me. I'm going to place a demand on you. I'm going to question you. And you're not going to be able to avoid it. You're going to, you're going to have to answer. You're going to have to answer. We see that the prophets, they, they begin to question the nation. They begin to question the nation. In Malachi 3 and 8 it says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. God is bringing the entire nation to account for their actions. Jeremiah 2 and 11 says, Have a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. You all have stepped into a place where you're no longer effective. You were given an area, you were given resources to manage, and now you're all off into something that where you have no business being. If you're going to be a steward, you have to be accountable. You have to be able to withstand questioning. Go to John chapter 21. Just so you know that God will get all up in your business. He will address you personally. John 21, verse 15. So when they died, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Here Jesus is, he's sitting down with them after the resurrection, and he's having supper with them once again. You know, supper is a time of communion, it's a time of, of relationship, it's a time of sharing. And it's in this time when he says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And this is Simon's response. He says, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And then he says to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus is saying that, you know, we, we are in relationship. We are in communion. You say that you are with me and I am with you. So you must be accountable. You need to be able to you need to be able to stand up to questions. 
Paul questions the church at Corinth. He says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. First Corinthians chapter five, starting at starting at verse one, it says, "It is recorded commonly among you that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one of you should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that have done this deed might be taken away from you." And he goes on to say that that this person needs to be put out. He needs to be put out of the fellowship until they are able until they repent. So one thing that you need to know about questioning is that when you're questioned, you can never defend your position when you're outside of the bounds of authority. In all that God asks of you, you can never defend your position when you are outside of the bounds of authority. Your situation is not an excuse. Your relationships are not an excuse. Your your insecurities, not even your insecurities, they're not an excuse. A lot of times we, we, we don't want to stand up to questions. Because we, we are ashamed at where we are. We know what God has commanded. And we know that our current position is not what God has, has commanded. He's not where he wants us to be. And so, in avoiding the questions, we try to deflect we try to point out the faults in others. We try to, to defend. Why are you attacking me? Why are you, bringing, why are you bringing an accusation against me? It's not an accusation. It's a question. It's a question. It's intended to understand where you are and what your condition is. We attempt to, to deny that's not true. That's not true. I, I didn't do that thing. You did it. God knows you did it. I left, I left that house at midnight. I didn't stay over that girl's house. over. I did not touch the unclean thing. You try to deny. But listen, you can never defend your position when you are outside of the bounds of authority. There is, no, there is no defense. There is no defense when you're outside of the bounds of authority. 
I just love it in the, in the military. They used to have this thing where they were, when, 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 when the, the soldiers were questioned by their superior officer, they had, they had uh, three, three, three responses. Yes, sir. No, sir. And no excuses. There, there, there was no defense when they were outside of the bounds of authority. The only thing that, that stands under questioning, the only thing that stands under questioning is when you're under, is when you're obedient. Obedience produces a clear conscience towards God and man. Get ready to be questioned. Don't resist the questions. Don't try to deflect. Don't try to defend. Don't try to deny. You will be questioned. You should be questioned. And your response to all, your, all the questions is your obedience. Because obedience will produce a clear conscience towards God and man. We're going to dig deeper into this next time. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.